Welcome to the Book Bad Podcast, where we help you navigate and explore the world of Christian fantasy books. I'm your co-host, Carlissa J. And I'm your other co-host, Jason, who talks about books that aren't just Christian. So yeah, there. We both do. <laughs> okay. No, but I like to say that I do. You know, I'll take some pride in this. I talk about classic Christian fantasy. Oh, see, there. so you're a snob. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you're one of those snotty snobs. And right. I'm just a weirdo. Today, we're going to be talking about Mary Sue characters, what the term Mary Sue means, and the discussions around the term. But first, I wanted to say that this brings out a topic that fascinates me, the evolution of language and the English language specifically. I have a few dictionaries on our bookshelf. One is from 2013. I also have a dictionary from 1981 and one from 1974. Wait a minute. Where'd you get those books? Are they your dad's? I I bought them secondhand. Oh, okay. Sorry. It's like, they're that old. Are we sure they're not your dad's? No. I was looking up the word stereotype in our collection of dictionaries and found something fun, which I'm now going to share with you, our audience, and with Jason for the first time. Are you ready? Hold on a minute. I need a moment to get ready for this. Okay, I'm ready. Okay. From the Winston Canadian Dictionary of 1974, a stereotype is... A one-piece printing plate, cast in type metal, from a mold of a printing surface as a page of type. Is that what comes to your mind when you think of a stereotype? No, but people also tend to forget that 1974 was when the World Hockey Association did their own version of the Summit Series against the Soviets. So, you know, there's that. You would think of something like that. (laughs) I'm talking about stereotypes in 1974, and you're just thinking about 1974. (laughs) Well, what you just said doesn't sound like anything even remotely close to what we would call a stereotype today. So that's when my mind wanders. Okay, well. So can you read that again, please? Okay. A one-piece printing plate cast in type metal from a mold of a printing surface as a page of type. It's the old way they used to do printing presses. Yeah, okay. That reminds me of like printing plates for money or something like that. Okay, (laughs) cool. Okay, whatever. Um, But maybe this will be more to your liking. The Collins English Dictionary, Canadian Edition, 1981. A stereotype is a metal plate for printing cast from setup type or something monotonously familiar, conventional, predictable. Okay, one of those things are not like the other things. So do it all over again. okay? Okay. First one. Metal plate for printing cast from setup type. Okay. Or something monotonously. No, 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 no. So just the first one, the mm-hmm. first definition then is pretty much the same as it was back in 1974, yep. give or take. So that tells me that somewhere between 74 and 81, mm-hmm. we have this word evolving to start mean more something of what we, we would, would go today. Yeah. So, you know, while hockey was transitioning from the Canadian dynasties of the 70s <laughs> to the Islanders dynasty of the 80s, so was the English language evolving. Mm-hmm. So there. And my Oxford, you know. the Oxford English Mini Dictionary of 2013 says a stereotype is an oversimplified idea of the typical characteristics of a person or thing, which is yeah how we would use that word today. More or less. All right. Can you read that one again? Just let me get that in my noggin. Uh, the 2013 one? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oversimplified idea of the typical characteristics of a person or thing. Okay. Now, can you do the 81 again? Yep. As in the second The second one, okay, okay. Not the printing press part. Something monotonously familiar, conventional, predictable. So yeah, it's not I kinda quite like the that same. one better. 
I kind of like that one better. <laughs> Just saying. It feels like that leaves more room for it to be used in a variety of ways, whereas stereotype is more talking about specific characters or yeah. things. Yeah. Am I a stereotype? How could you be? No idea. You can't but I could be, be an oversimplified idea. Well, might think so. Oh, unless you're talking about your monotonously familiar, conventional, or predictable? I don't think so. I could be. I doubt it. I could try. <laughs> <laughs> All right. We will move on to Mary Sue characters. Wait a minute. So we're not going to talk about st- examples of stereotype characters? I mean, we could if you want to. I just wanted to... The initial uh, things that come to my mind are characters that are in my mind borderline if not flat out racist yeah but by definition i don't think if you can name the character then they're probably not much of a stereotype stereotypes are pretty much just they exist and are forgettable at least to me mm, i guess so according to dictionary.com a mary sue is a term used to describe a fictional character usually female who is seen as too perfect and almost boring for lack of flaws Originally written as an idealized version of an author in fan fiction. So this is part of why I wanted to talk about the evolution of language. I didn't realize that this term is this recent. So this is its origin. Well, it sounds like it's almost a spinoff of stereotype, really, in terms. (laughs) But it's a little more specific. It's more specific. I'll give it that. But both types of characters are boring and even monotonous to a certain degree of point, but for different reasons. So the origin of the term comes from a satirical Star Trek fan fiction, which introduced a character named Mary Sue, as (laughs) Dictionary.com says. I don't want to thank the Trekkies for anything. I hate Star Trek. (laughs) Why are you ruining this for me? Okay, so according to Dictionary.com, the very short story was written by Paula Smith in 1973 for Menagerie, a Star Trek fanzine for which she was an editor. In a 2011 interview, Smith explained that as an editor who read a significant amount of Star Trek fan fiction, written by women in particular, she noticed a pattern of reoccurring adolescent female characters who were the youngest ever in their Starfleet position, irresistibly yet uniquely attractive, and uncannily talented and capable in every adventure she and the crew dared endeavor. You're hitting your head on the table. Oh my goodness. So, should we talk, use this as an example to totally bash the character of Rey from Disney's Star Wars movies? Or how about Disney's butchering of Carol Danvers as Captain Marvel in the MCU? Take your pick. Well. I have thoughts on these things in case you can't tell. Yeah, we we (laughs) can get to those thoughts. So, the introduction of the term Mary Sue has sparked a lot of conversation around aspirational characters, what makes a bad character, how we treat female protagonists, etc. 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 So I came up with a couple questions we could explore, or we could explore other questions. Get distracted. Cool. No, no, let's go on these ones, okay? Okay. So the first one, this is a common discussion, is the use of the term Mary Sue a disguise for sexism? It's been pointed out that some male characters that people love and admire, like James Bond, really qualify as Mary Sue's. These are referred to as Gary Stews. And that female protagonists frequently receive the label as a negative when a similarly flawless male character will just be enjoyed as entertaining. Now, I'm going to be fair and say, 
I hate James Bond as a character. <laughs> that That's the so. funny thing, because, okay, I hate James Bond as a character, too, so you're not going to get any arguments from me on that front. I hate his character. It makes no sense to me. I don't get why I'm supposed to be cheering for this guy. I, I'm actually one of those people going... Oh, please, Lord, let one of those shots get lucky and kill him, please. <laughs> yeah, I've watched a couple of James Bond movies and I'm just I, not. I couldn't a make fan it through one. Him. It was horrible. <laughs> so, like, James Bond is one. Another one that maybe not quite the same, but I would say if he's not a Gary Stu, he's perilously close. Indiana Jones. Yeah, that was actually another one okay. I was going to bring up. You it's took like the character the... of Her- you took Harrison Ford's previous character of Han Solo and stripped him of any negative traits or perceived negative traits he- you may think Han Solo may have and present him as this perfect protagonist with no flaws. He's always perfect. Yeah, about the only interesting thing about him is he's teacher and an archaeologist and he isn't even really the second i'd argue he's, <laughs> he's not even good at hunter. the first one <laughs> uh, yeah he's gone he's i mean maybe maybe in the years in between these adventures he's actually teaching <laughs> some people have a hard time believing that his character could actually teach anything good maybe this just brings out a whole different side of him in the classroom <laughs> He so is, he has a split personality, essentially? He, he's a Gary there. Stu. He can be perfect at <laughs> teaching and perfect at adventuring and somehow an archaeologist by the most, you know, loose definition of the term possible. Wow. Oh, dear. <laughs> Maybe we're going to get in trouble if we have any older listeners who are just like, that is their era where you have to like Indiana jones and james bond yeah we try to get your mom to explain it to us what the big kerfuffle was about indiana jones because we watched the first one indiana jones and the raiders of the lost ark and okay i went into it wanting to enjoy the movie okay to be perfectly clear i wanted to enjoy that movie i went into it thinking okay this is a classic so i'm gonna notice a couple of things that are like yeah that's hey that's a good art <laughs> and i came out of it going what on god's green earth was the big deal about this movie. I went out of it going like, um, so this must have just been a phase thing. This is not like that type of artwork that's going to be looked at for generations to come. This is just like, oh, this this was a fad. Yeah, say what you want about <laughs> the original Star Wars trilogy, but at least add something going for it to give it yeah, some you can legs like, to it. Like, I'm not actually that into the original Star Wars trilogy, but I can respect people bringing out different... Uh, significant story aspects and stuff like that are like parts of it that are very well written and thoughtful in terms of storytelling and everything I can appreciate that even if I'm not really a fan of the movies so I can appreciate that they are good art yeah even if they're not gonna be my favorite art ever but Indiana Jones I don't understand (laughs) yeah it's one of life's great mysteries (laughs) anyway we totally got (laughs) I mean, well, is it a disguise for sexism? I would say yes and no. On the one hand, it is. People are being hypocritical and not recognizing that trait in male characters as well. But if you recognize them both male and female alike, and it doesn't really matter, then it's kind of then it kind of loses its sexism to it. But if you're just using that to say, you know, you don't like whether it's Ray from the 
new Star Wars movies or uh, if you just Captain basically... Marvel from the MCU because they are quote unquote total Mary Sue types. It's kind of like, okay, that may be a fair point. If you just but... like going for a list of different female protagonists and you're not going to explain what's bad about each of them, and just throw them all under the label of Mary Sue, then that's probably a sign that you're not actually criticizing the character. You're just more or less being sexist. Yeah. So, you know, there's anyway. that. <laughs> but yeah, my problem is that it's like when you point out male ooh, characters. Ooh, ooh, ooh. That you are... want a character that got made into a Gary Stew? Oh. Legolas. <laughs> okay. <laughs> poor guy <laughs> and the, well that's the thing okay and this is not in the books okay because okay in the more or less in the lord of the rings novels he's about the more or less the same as what he is in the movies give or take a few differences okay i'm sure some lord of the rings nerds will be more than happy to tell me where i'm off base but you know i'm willing to put the movie up against the book version and be like you know what that's not bad that's reasonably close then they threw legolas into the hobbit for no good reason <laughs> i am still furious about that he's attractive <laughs> okay okay don't you say that and what comes to mind is the opening scene to the first kung fu panda movie <laughs> <laughs> that was fun that's <laughs> attractive Oh, How can we ever like... repay you? There was no charge for us in this attractiveness. That is like a Gary Stu fantasy of Pose. <laughs> Before the actual movie hits and you see what all his flaws are. <laughs> oh, okay. Oh, wow. I totally didn't pick up on that. That is great. I love that. You're the best. Wow. Wow, totally did not pick up on that. All the previous times I've seen the Kung Fu Panda movies, but you were so right. That is amazing. I love you. <laughs> so another fair question. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. That's good. Oh, sorry. Uh, I'm saying it. Yeah. So should we move on to the next question? Yeah. Okay. What is the relationship between Mary Sue characters and aspirational characters? Is a Mary Sue character simply what the author, who the author aspires to be? Uh, there have been women who have actually used the term positively to describe some of their own characters in a way that they're saying I want to write characters that are aspirational for me and you can call them a Mary Sue if you want to kind of thing kind of that attitude so I wanted to though kind of parse out what is the difference between goals versus traits and moral perfection versus physical intellectual personality perfection Ooh. I think aspirational has to do with your goal, you're an aspirational character because you aspire to do something good. As opposed to... As opposed to you just are an automatically of... good person kind of thing. Mm. And traits that are good. And moral perfection. Like aspirational characters are more about aiming for a higher moral goal. Versus Mary Sue characters seem to be more about she's the right balance of perfectly intelligent and beautiful and got all these cool skills and stuff. It's less about morality and less about the mm. goals you're aiming towards than what aspirational is to me. To huh. me, that's what aspirational is at its best. Okay, okay, okay. You just summarized the major complaints and arguments I get in with people over comic book characters. <laughs> no, seriously. Like, I know um, back when I was really into superhero comics, one of the big kerfuffles people would get into fights over all the time is about, oh, these characters are too physically perfect or whatever <laughs> and i was kind of like okay so you know whether it's a guy or a girl has frankly an impossible body 
some more impossible than others. <laughs> but to me, that's never what is long has long standing appeal to me. Would I find these characters interesting or whatever if they were incredibly obese or whatever? Okay, maybe not. But at the same time, I'd argue it's not so much that, you know, Superman has this incredible chiseled figure that makes me, and that's one of the things that makes me like him. You know, I've seen different uh, versions of the character where, you know, some are definitely more chiseled than others. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't really affect how much I like the character. It What affects... What I think of the character more is about how he's portrayed. Oh, wow. I actually got a really good picture of this. Okay. Two modern takes on Superman. Okay. Mm-hmm. One is the Henry Cavill version from the movies. He is, not arguably, he most definitely is a lot bigger and buffer than the TV show version of him. Oh, geez. Do you remember the actor's name for the TV show Superman and Lois? Sorry, I don't. Oh, geez. I can't remember his name. I should know his name. I like what he does with the Superman character so much and I know countless people just freaked out about him being cast as Superman because you know he he wasn't big and buff enough to play Superman <laughs> and it's kind of like you know what that's not the point that's not why some people myself among them latched on to his t- version of Superman it was because he was a nice guy as opposed to a guy who was um to quote, it was Honest Trailers, who was the first person I heard call um, Henry Cavill Superman as constantly, quote unquote, emotionally constipated. Anyway, I, I guess I got a little sidetracked there. Sorry. That's okay. Uh, We're allowed to get sidetracked. Yeah, I know. It's our podcast. You can't stop us, people. <laughs> anyway, so goals versus traits. Yeah, that is honestly one of the things that stands out to me more than anything else. Like, yeah, traits do tend to, can feed into goals, but yeah, I would say like a lot of Batman's mm-hmm. traits are things that he honed because he was absolutely focused on his goal. Focused on his goal. And that's fair. Um, another one to get onto the focus of, you know, a novel. Looking at, you know, the traits of, well, I'm going to go with Samwise Gamgee as from The Lord of the Rings. What his traits are is, you know, yeah, he's a more simple guy. He's honest. He's pretty hardworking. And he's very loyal and loving to his friends. But I'd say those are also qualify as moral aspects. Okay, and that's fair. But those are things that, you know, help them achieve their (laughs) goals Maybe more so in how they go about achieving their goals. I guess that would be where I come at it from. And also having the endurance to, you see why he has the endurance to achieve his goals is because he is very loyal to Frodo and his humility helps him against the ring. Yeah, because he's actually able to carry it and then give it up. Mm-hmm. That would be one example. But we come away reading and thinking about like Sam Gamgee, thinking about the value of friendship and the value of humility and stuff like that and being an on like this is what I want to be. In a Mary Sue character, do we often just come away rolling our eyes kind of thing or feeling like I can't be that or I am not even sure I want to be that? <laughs> Well, and see, that's part of where I may get in trouble for saying this, but you know what? Whatever. That's one of my problems with these quote-unquote girl power type moments, especially when they try to take themselves too seriously. So, like, okay, I'll admit it. I have not seen the Captain Marvel movie, and I feel no reason to go see it. And frankly, based on what I saw of her from Endgame, I don't feel like I missed anything. She's just made into this perfect character where... And you 
didn't even really like Gerald Danvers from the comic books anyway. I would have been so. interested. I would have been more interested if they stuck closer to the comic book version, okay? Because the mm-hmm. comic book version has, or at least prior to Marvel trying to push her as one of the main, it's main flagship characters which again why would you do that she wasn't that good of a character to begin with and she has never had the potential to be that good and i would say that from a moral perspective well by that extent same with tony stark Mm. they've managed to push him as a flagpole character now Mm. but i would argue that tony just has a few more intriguing aspects and that if nothing else there's the intrigue of you know whatever he does it's something that he's built so you wonder what's he going to build to beat this problem whereas carol danvers has the the similar problem to a lot of characters with superpowers where it's kind of like they're just going to punch the problem harder am i gonna get in trouble for saying this but the way you described iron man made me think it's like the paw patrol puppies The excitement is waiting to see what technology they're going to bring out to fix their problems. Why did you bring up that cursed (laughs) franchise? The Paw Patrol franchise is the worst ever. But kids love it. We have this innate human fascination with seeing what tech is going to solve this problem. (laughs) And it's in our children, too. So you're telling me that I'm most likely going to have to deal with my own children who are your children too, by the way, (laughs) liking the MCU Tony Stark for no good reason because he's a total jerk and snot. He makes technology. (laughs) I guess I was going to say we do forgive. I would have cheered so hard if the Hulk just pulled him to pulp. We kind of also make fun of the inventor of Facebook and... Oh, Zuckerberg. uh, Zuckerberg and what's his name who took over? uh, Elon Musk. Yes. I mean, I guess we do. They called off a fight, okay? (laughs) I wanted them to actually fight. That would have been interesting. (laughs) We do make fun of them, even while acting like they're idols of some kind. (laughs) Speak for yourself. (laughs) I guess the, the Facebook movie... Or what was it called? Was it called Mark Zuckerberg? No, no, no. It wasn't called. It wasn't called that. It was called. Um... Anyway, yeah, that, that movie didn't really idealize him I, in any way, shape, or degree. form. Yeah. Anyway, another question: Can a character be based on the author and not be a Mary Sue or Gary Stu? Yes. 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 I think that's a pretty simple. That is yes. very <laughs> possible. Like, okay, not to toot my own horn or anything, but one thing you pointed out reading a lot of stuff I've written is that it's very common for me to base characters off of me or some aspect of me. And I would argue that none of those characters are, you know, Gary Stews or Mary Sues. And the main reason why they're not is because... You know, while I may be drawing inspiration or whatever for these characters from myself, I at least like to think in every single one of them there are flaws to them. They are not perfect characters. The story doesn't just bend itself around them to suit them. I want to say, if you know your own flaws and you base a character off of you, I get the impression that Mr. Vane in George McDonald's Lilith is quite possibly based off of him, but it's based off of him with a recognition of George McDonald admitting uh, that he can be too focused on intellectual stuff and miss out on connecting with people or that, you know, there's different moments where Mr. Vane really messes things up and misses out on something he was supposed to do or puts people in danger unnecessarily because he misjudged a situation or whatever. Yeah, and that's one thing where... He was too arrogant. As I said before, you can... The main thing about a Mary... 
a Sue character that, at least to me, makes a character a very Sue or Gary Stu, is that the story consistently contorts itself around the character to make the character look good. That is probably okay. So, like the purpose of America. I, I I thought for a bit there that like the character of Luke Skywalker in the original movies, not in the extended books, that like the Star Wars Legends books, okay, but just episodes four, five, and six. I thought maybe he's a Gary Stu type character, and it's like no, he's not, because the story doesn't bend itself around him mm-hmm. to make him look good. He fight like specifically think of episode five for crying out loud when he first fights vader he's clearly outmatched and he doesn't pull off some last second victory or whatever he gets his hand lopped off and has to make a very undignified retreat (laughs) (laughs) yeah i guess the purpose of like to me it's more obvious in gary stews but probably is meant to be this way in mary stews too is that the purpose is for the character to look cool and to me, it's like we have a greater definition of what masculine coolness looks like in our culture. So yeah, it's easier fair. to pick out the Gary Stews. It's like, yeah, that guy's just, virtually every character. He's just designed to look cool. Yeah, virtually every character in the Fast and Furious movies. Yes. <laughs> I, everyone keeps telling me, oh, you don't watch it for the acting. You watch it for the cars and for the stunts. And I'm kind of like, well, guess what? If I don't give a crap about the characters in the cars and doing the stunts, then I don't care about the story. I wasn't even impressed by the cars. It actually disappointed me, the one we watched. Okay. We was don't, that number? That was the worst date yeah. we ever went on. <laughs> and I was half surprised that you didn't break up with me because of that movie. <laughs> I, I just felt like because we had our friend had told us it's going to no, be. A, it was my brother. Hmm? No, I'm talking about something else. Our friend told us it was going to be a stupid movie. One of my friends said it's going to be a stupid movie. You're going to hate it. And then she is usually wrong on everything. And oh, we right. Her fun of her opinions <laughs> and stuff. And I had to prepare myself going back to her and be like, OK, you were right. It was yes. stupid. <laughs> And that was one of those people where it's like, you I don't know, there's just that, this part of me that, that hates admitting that she's right. I, I just hate it. <laughs> Afterwards, I was like, Ugh. best way to do it is like make a mind. You were right. I was less right. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I had another one that came up. Uh, would a character who is very wise and always knows the right thing to do qualify as a Mary Sue? And by that definition, sweetie. Mm-hmm. If that is the case, then that means that Mr. Whitaker from the Adventures in Odyssey <laughs> audio drama that is a Gary one, Stew. That was one person Boom! that came to mind. Yeah. Part of me wants to rebel against that and say, though, because that's more about, yeah, more about morality than being like flawless in every way. Well, okay. And also being wise and quote unquote, knowing what the right thing to do is doesn't inherently mean that they know the right way to go about doing it mm. okay so like you know it's easy to say knowing the that right thing to do the, the right thing actually... to do is always tell the truth well guess what there are some ways in which of telling the truth that are very hurtful and maybe you shouldn't have done it that way and you know you can have situations where things don't work out I mean, you want to believe that doing the right thing and being wise is going to lead to good things, but then have stories where maybe things don't work out quite that way. Maybe other people's unwise choices kind of cancel out your wise choices and make bad things still happen. 
Yeah. Or you lead yourself into you have to face a really difficult situation. Because you did the right thing. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, and that, again, like you said, okay, maybe the whole wise thing I'm going to leave alone for a bit, but always knows the quote-unquote right thing to do. That really comes down to more of a moral question, Mm-hmm. And that in itself is more gray because, mm. heck, even amongst us Christians, sweetie, you can have, you can ask people, you know, what's, okay, I know this is a hot button topic here, but gun control in the U.S., okay? Mm. You can ask, you know, people in the U.S., outside of the U.S., or whatever, what the right thing to do about this is, and you'll get a bazillion different answers. You know, it doesn't mean that anyone's inherently right or wrong. To me, that's more of a signal that they have a different way of viewing what the right thing to do is. <laughs> some of which I would agree with, some of which I wouldn't, quite And bluntly. wisdom, at least wisdom in the Bible, learning more and more is more nuanced than always. Black and white. Um, like the word for shrewd, uh, when they describe the snake in the garden in Genesis as shrewd, it's described as a positive trait in Proverbs. The same word is used mm. positively. Yeah. So the snake is wise, but it's a wisdom that has become twisted towards causing harm to others. So then there's also the question of, yeah, wisdom as, you know, the right thing to do morally, or also, do you also have the wisdom of uh, the shrewdness of how are we going to make this work out practically? And also the uprightness to not use your shrewdness <laughs> to harm other people. Wisdom is complicated. Sorry, yeah. that was so, it. So <laughs> that's where I would say, regrettably, as much as I'd like to especially bash the modern version of Adventures in Odyssey, I cannot say that a character who's very wise and always knows the right thing to do qualifies as Mary Sue or Gary Stu. I, <laughs> they don't. Like, they could be, I'll admit, but yeah, if they... that would more have to do with everything they just say or, you know, tell other people to do works out right, okay? And that's one thing that, you know, getting back to the MCU version of Carol Danvers drives me up the wall because even in Endgame, she pretty much all the time tells people what the right thing to do is and of course when she tells people what to do it all turns out all right you know it all turns out oh good and it's kind of like wow why didn't we listen to her before she knows she has all the answers or whatever it's you know it wouldn't kill for her to say we should do this and then have that turn out oh that didn't turn out so hot just saying (laughs) but that would lead to her being wrong as we all know, a strong woman character can never be wrong. Which is sad. Yeah, I know. Unrealistic expectations. Mm-hmm. But also, I think when you can't have a flawless, strong female protagonist, or you can't have a flawed, strong female protagonist, mm. that also says something to, at least to me, watching is like, so if I make a mistake, I am ousted from being a strong woman kind of thing, as opposed to being like, okay, Having characters who are strong, who make mistakes and then get back up and can learn from their mistakes and move on, um, which is to me like what an actual strong woman or strong man or strong anybody should be. That That's quite honestly one of the things that always drives me nuts whenever people talk about characters like whether it's Superman or Captain America is that, 
oh, they're these goody two-shoes who always do the right thing or whatever. And it's kind of like, yeah, they always do the right or strive to do the right thing, even when they know that it's not a good idea to do the right thing from a strategic standpoint or whatever, because they have a sense of what's right and wrong and they're going to stick to it. That's more important to them than you know, at least the projected immediate end result. You know, they'll get, they're okay with failing because they're going to get back up and try again, even if they're not exactly looking forward to failing. All right. Is that a good note to end on? Did you want to discuss more? A question for you as an author. Would you be okay, or I guess, is it possible for there to be a Mary Sue or Gary Stu type character who is a secondary or background character? Is that possible? I was actually asking myself that recently. And I think it's possible, but that just feels less interesting. I guess it depends on how much time they get. If they're just like really background and they're just aiding the protagonist a little bit here and there on their quest kind of thing, then okay. Um, But there has to be some reason why they're not doing everything themselves. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Because if everything turns out all right for them and, you know, the world is seemingly contorting itself to fit around them and whatever they say or do, then immediate question is, you know, is what those unknowledgeable people say about Tolkien's books and stories. Why don't we just have the eagles solve the problem? Do you know what? Actually, on the Tolkien Society, Tolkien Society website, oh, that is actually on their list of frequently asked questions. Yes, is the why can't the eagles do it? And they explain that Tolkien himself knew that people were going to come up with that contention. Oh, Tolkien was aware of this. Oh, wow, that is good. Good for him because I know he addressed it. You know, in his first book, The Hobbit, why that wasn't the case. Why they weren't going to just show up at Uh, any given moment to solve everyone's problem. They also brought out the Silmarillion, explores hints at it a little bit more, in that they are emissaries of a certain archangel. So that archangel has things for them to do. (laughs) They They can't just go off and do whatever they want whenever they want. Oh. It was just special circumstances that let Gandalf have well, some influence in there. Uh, no, he doesn't have influence. They essentially owe him a favor. Mm-hmm. That's that's all of what mm-hmm. it is. It was something to the effect of, what was it? He saved some of their eggs or something like that, or saved one of their leaders or something like that at one mm-hmm. point. I forget exactly what it was. So in essence, they owe him a favor, mm-hmm. but it doesn't mean that he can just tell them to do whatever the heck he wants and they'll mm-hmm. just drop everything and do it. Mm-hmm. They have a commander and he is not it. <laughs> yep. So I guess that would mean that conceivably it doesn't really work to have a Mary Sue or Gary Stu as a secondary or background character. It depends on how do you think of, you haven't seen The Land Before Time, have you? The Land Before Time? Did you see it? The first one. Sweetie, I've seen that a couple of times. Oh, not okay. every single time, but I've, okay. I've not seen it, you know, as many times as you apparently have, but I've seen it like three four times maybe maybe the mother doesn't really qualify as a flawless because she she dies she dies (laughs) she dies she's more like that wise voice that leads him from beyond the grave kind of thing but yeah she dies (laughs) because you can't really have a mary sue who dies (laughs) 
Yeah, like th- that just doesn't work. And also, you got to remember, like I always saw that as you know, kind of uh, you know, the whole romanticizing of keeping your parents' teaching, you know, their quote unquote spirit with you. If you keep that with you, then in a way they're with you even when they're not whether they're just not there physically or because they've passed away so can you think of a like a mary stew type character who is a secondary mary sue mary like, sue sorry you keep saying mary stew sorry mary sue type character who is a secondary character oh a background character the only ones that come to mind are ones where is things like, you know, like the Marvel Universe or whatever, when there's, you know, literally hundreds of characters, mm-hmm. but for whatever reason, the Mary Sue or Gary Sue isn't the lead character in this particular story. Mm-hmm. So like, you know, getting to the MCU, a Mary Sue character would be Carol Danvers, Captain Marvel, Okay, she would be a Mary Sue character in Endgame. The thing is that she's not a main character in that movie. Okay, the main characters in Endgame are essentially the co- the main three, the original cast of Cap, Iron Man, Hulk, Thor, Hawkeye, and Black Widow. Those are the main characters of that movie, as opposed to Carol Danvers, who was there at the beginning to tell them that they would have been fine if she was there and you know shows up at the end to turn the tide of battle just because she was there and then the ultimate question did they ever answer this why did why am i blanking on his name the leader of the spy organization who nick fury yes i'm sorry i blanked on his nick name. fury man nick fury why did he not call her when there were aliens attacking new york and they were about to set off a missile to destroy new york <laughs> yeah see that's the funny thing okay like apparently that wasn't what qualifies as serious i guess maybe it's just one planet for now you know that's going to be a launching point to destroy a bunch of other planets but it's just earth right now so I it's okay <laughs> i don't know okay that there people ask questions about that and i don't think that was ever fully explained in any way well, they tried to explain it in Endgame when they, when, you know, all the Earth heroes, you know, rightfully ask her, okay, where the heck were you this whole time? And she gets some stupid answer like, there's a lot of planets out there that need Avengers and you weren't there, which okay. was as arrogant I mean, and stuff like that as it sounds. I mean, that's also really vague. They can't give us an example. Nope. There's this other planet that, you know, this evil race of creatures. Well, was see, about they, to... d- they kind of ruined the scrolls and the creed. So they didn't make any of them a th- real threat to Earth, which was very annoying. They haven't touched on the Shi'ar really at all. Well, the Shi'ar, frankly, they were X-Men territory to begin with, so can't touch them probably. And yeah, and they have this... fighting some other godlike being. What are, like who? Galactus? Galactus yeah. would eat her as a toothpick. We'll pretend she could defeat Galactus. <laughs> oh, that's why I'm afraid if they ever do bring Galactus into the MCU, they'll probably have Carol Danvers one punch him or something like that. That would come across as really stupid. <laughs> Just watch. If, it, if she's still around, when they if they get around to bring Galactus, she'll do it. Like, heck, you know how they're building up King the Conqueror is the next big bad of the MCU? Watch. They're going to have to keep Carol Danvers out of it until the last possible minute, and then she'll show up and, like, flick him or something like that, and then, boom, problem solved. In case you can't tell, Carol Danvers in the MCU is the worst. (laughs) 
I guess people bring up Ray from Star Wars a lot as a Mary Sue. I've generally just considered her forgettable more than anything. It feels like people talk about her an awful lot for a character. You didn't that... see or even keep up with what happened in no, episodes only... eight and nine. I kept up. I haven't seen those movies, but I kept up with them because I was at least I'm interested in Star Wars. So I like to keep up. But even if I don't watch, I like to keep up with what happened. I pretty much. Yeah, I just and watched. Oh, seven. my goodness sweetie she literally does everything first try essentially you know that's really and though, it's, like it's literally a like a case in point where she shows up essentially and then she's just like yes i am instantly just by being more powerful and more capable and wiser and smarter but then you don't Luke, get like those and it's like why i know luke's character was totally butchered in episode eight but why but then you don't get like those Disney Milan moments of just bonding with this character as she is the original. Yep, there you go. Jason, obviously I'm talking about the original. Some I, people wouldn't know. People can just forget that the other one happened. I think. Thank you. Generally. It, besides, you call it the live action Disney Mulan then. Oh. If you're going to. It's just the Disney Mulan. Okay, thank you. Okay, okay the original just be, one. Thank you. I just don't want anyone but, to get the impression that we are praising the live, the quote unquote live action one because that one sucked. I didn't watch it, so I don't know. I was afraid to watch it. I was interested in it and I kind of wanted to like it because I thought it was going to, you know, take a lot of inspiration from old school martial arts type movies. And it's kind of like, hey, those are kind of over the top fun. So this could be good or at least worth a watch. And then. I kept up with what it actually was and what actually happened in it. And I was like, oh, dear Lord. Why do we care about the Mulan in that live action movie? She's already perfect even as a child. You get the impression she could have totaled all the bad guys as a child. Or like bonding with Ahsoka is watching her. Ah, yes. Watching From the Clone Wars TV show. That was grow. great. Yeah, yeah. That was great. And it really made it's the part where she left the Jedi Order at the end of season five. That was yes. a tearjerker moment, okay? Yes. I almost cried. I think I actually did. I don't remember. I don't think you did. You don't think I did? Sweetie, that was one I... of the scenes, though, that I watched for when I was figuring out how to make characters look sad and how to describe sad faces <clears throat> was watching, yeah, that scene in part. Oh, my gosh. That scene was just so good. Anyway, we should probably call it quits. Oh, come on, we've only been talking for about an hour at this point. Oh my goodness, we're fine. <laughs> we're done. <laughs> <laughs> You're just saying that because you don't want to edit this. No problem. I'll edit it. Then problem solved. Okay. Well, thank you all for listening. Remember to like and subscribe and comment and stuff on the Book Bat Podcast and on whether it's Apple Podcasts or on the website book-bat.com or Occasionally, Carlissa will be posting different things on Facebook. Mm -hmm. See ya. Bye.